0: Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Forest Hills Podcast. We exist to see our neighbors from every culture follow Jesus as King. We're glad you're here and thanks for listening. More information about the life and mission of City on a Hill can be found at coahforesthills.org. Hey everybody, my name's Stephen. I'm the lead pastor here at City on a Hill. And uh, we are so thankful you're with us. Thanks for sticking with us through some of the technical difficulties this morning. Um, but the, our hope is not in in technology. Our hope is in Jesus. His word is enough. So we're so glad to be here together with you uh, this morning. And so a few uh, things before we get started. Um, again, that connect card that I mentioned at the beginning. Um, you can fill that out by going to coaforesthills.org/connect. And for filling that card out, we will give you a five-dollar gift card to a local coffee shop plus a free ebook. We'll email. Uh, both of those to you. We just want to get to know you a little bit better, help connect you to uh, what's going on here at City on a Hill. Our values at City on a Hill are the gospel, community, and mission. We believe that the gospel is the good news, that Jesus is all we need, that he's provided everything that we need through his life, death, and resurrection in order to have a relationship with God. And we would invite you to that gospel if you've not yet trusted Jesus. We also believe in community. We believe that um, life is best lived in relationships centered around Jesus. So this is why we value life in community, including community groups. So if you haven't uh, connected to a community group, we would love to help you do so by filling out that Connect card. Uh, we can help get you connected to one. And then lastly, mission, that the good news of Jesus is too good to keep to ourselves. So we help others experience that good news through our, our through demonstrating the gospel and declaring the good news of the gospel to our neighbors and to our friends. Um, again, a few announcements. Again, you can connect to a community group. Um, these are groups of people about um, about uh, eight to eight to 10 people or so who uh, gather together in different parts of the city to study the word together, to to share life and then to love their neighbors and and our city. Um, and so we really encourage people to connect to one close to them. So again, uh, fill out that card we can help you get connected to the group closest to you. And, and then all, lastly, we have a, a a politics course that we're going through. We, again, people talk about, don't talk about politics. Well, we're talking about politics. It's on Monday nights at 7.30. Uh, you can sign up by going to koaforesthills.org. Slash events and uh, and be a part of um, a part of that course. Um, we are, are in the middle of a series uh, through the Sermon on the Mount, and last week it was so good for us to gather together uh, in person. Last week was our first weekly worship gathering. Uh, We're going to be online for the next couple of weeks. Today, uh, again, next weekend on uh, October 4th. And finally, on October 11th, we will gather together again in person. So we're excited for that. Um, Again, but it was so good uh, to be together. This past week, uh, I got to thinking about a a job that I had when I was in college. Uh, One of my favorite jobs that I ever had was working at movie gallery. And so right now in the chat, if you want to, type in maybe that one job you had in high school or college that didn't pay a lot of money but was a lot of fun for me that was working at movie gallery gallery now kids if, if you are under maybe the age of say 25 or 30 you may have never stepped foot inside of a movie gallery or a blockbuster um, this was a store that you would go to um, you would physically leave your house walk into the store and they had videos sometimes vhs we'll explain that later or DVDs that you would take off the shelf. You would rent them, take them to your home, put them inside of a player and then have to bring them back. This way back before the days of Netflix, this job is obsolete, but I love this job. It was so much fun. I had this job in 2002, 2003. And one of the biggest movies of 2002 was, was this movie called Minority Report. Minority Report was about this kind of futuristic society, and it had Tom Cruise in it, which upped the, 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 um, upped the game there. It was a really good movie. And in uh, Tom Cruise, there's this one scene where he's walking down the hall, and these personalized ads keep popping up in his face. And he's walking through, and he's trying to get through, and he can't get anywhere. He can't really see where he's going. Well, the guy who created this scene uh, is a man named Jaron Lanier. Uh, Jaron wrote a, a book, a New York Times bestselling book called 10 Reasons to Delete Social Media. And when he was talking about this scene, he said he wanted this scene to be a cautionary tale, but it's actually pretty prophetic because right now you've probably had that eerie moment where you've said something out loud that your Google Home or Alexa or your, your cell phone has picked up and you get a personalized ad later for that very thing. And so we are constantly being advertised to. Every single day, you are being advertised, being told this promise of a good life. So if you'll wear this, if you'll travel here, if you'll you'll eat this or use this app, or if you'll live in this certain neighborhood, or or you'll join this certain gym, if you'll do this certain thing, this will lead to the flourishing life. We're being advertised to. But if you compare this to last week, Jesus invites you to live this flourishing life that we can have through the Beatitudes. I mean, try writing an advertisement campaign for blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek. But this week, Jesus shows us what that advertising campaign is. Jesus' advertising campaign for the counter-intuitive, counter-cultural, flourishing life that he promises is the church. We, the church, are the advertisement for the kingdom of God, and we demonstrate what the kingdom of God is like to the kingdom of the world. This is the vision for the church, what it means to see every person in every neighborhood experience the gospel. It means to help others flourish. And so we we didn't start the Sermon on the Mount here with with a process. Jesus didn't give us a five-step plan in order to fulfill his vision for flourishing. And in his second act, the second part of this, he doesn't give us that process either. He started with a promise, this promise of if you're invited into this beautiful life, this flourishing life, the life you were meant for. But the second thing he does is he talks about a people. This promise is advertised through a new people. He says here, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. This is identity language. Jesus is telling us who we are in order that we can live out this new life. See, the big idea that we're going to unpack today is that a new life, this flourishing life is shown through our new identity in Christ, that the new life we're called to live requires a new identity. And so flourishing, according to Jesus, comes through being salt and light. So why did Jesus use the terms salt and light to describe what it means to bring flourishing to our friends and neighbors? Well, the first reason is that everything is falling apart. Everything is falling apart. Um, this world needs salt and light. See, salt and light are, are, are ways that things are preserved or things are brought to light, and everything in our world is falling apart. It sounds kind of gloomy, right? Everything is decaying. Everything in our world is moving towards disintegration. So we've had this utopian vision as a society that the world is, is endless. It's, it's ripe with potential. Um, that we're moving toward this day when we're finally going to get it. We're going to finally be educated enough. We're finally going to be wealthy enough. You know, avocado toast for everybody. Like everything is going to be great. And, and, and we know that this is a bill of goods. And we get snapped back to reality about once every hundred years that the world is not just going to find its way to this utopian vision. People right before um, classic liberalism, right before World War I, there was this, this idea that, we, that the world had finally reached this place of, of being sophisticated enough to overcome hatred and oppression. And you see the travesty and the tragedy of World War I, the brutality of trench warfare. We're seeing that right now where we I think we're being snapped out of this idea that we live in this utopian world when we see uh, the brokenness of what happens during a pandemic. Everything is breaking down. Creation itself is breaking down. We live on a, an aging planet. Uh, one day, our planet is going to die. We see this through climate change, that our, our, our planet is getting hotter. Stuff, The ozone, stuff, stuff is happening there. In fact, right now, there is what's described in the Earth's magnetic field as a dent. It's basically a cosmic, spatial, like uh, pothole in our in our magnetic field. The universe is expanding. Energy is dissipating. The the creation itself is breaking down. You don't have to be a scientist to see this. We see this in trees. We see this in plants. We see this in animals. We see this see this through the life cycle of our planet. The Bible actually speaks to this in the Psalms. It says that creation will pass away. That everything is perishing as we know it. That the world, according to the book of Romans, is groaning to be made right because it is decaying. Our bodies are an example of this decay. Look, age and time are undefeated. Not a single one of us is going to beat age and time. I wake up now at 38 years old and, I, and, my, and things creak and pop and my back hurts. and like Not, not the same way they did at 18. Everyone's getting older. Back in the mid-1980s, Mike Tyson was the baddest man on the planet. He was knocking everybody out. And now Mike Tyson in his 50s is making a comeback, trying to hold back the hands of time. But no matter how good Mike Tyson is in his 50s, he will not touch Mike Tyson in his 20s. Every single one of us is seeing the decay of our bodies. Athletes retire. Aging parents. We see this through our aging parents and grandparents that over time our bodies and our minds slowly decay. We feel our mortality. We see decay culturally. Are are things really the way that they're supposed to be? And I'm not talking about like let's harken back to some sort of golden age. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that things were better 30, 40, 50 years ago. They certainly weren't. But what we see though is we see in our culture as we see these cycles that happen in our culture, we see continued racism and greed and abuse and political corruption. Even something like gentrification is a type of dis- of decay and disintegration because we see the disillusion of entire historic neighborhoods and families and people groups being displaced. We see this uh we see this decay and disintegration relationally. We are the most connected people in human history. But the problem is, is that we're hyper individualized in the way that we're connected. We're all in these tiny little silos connected to everyone across the world in these superficial ways that don't actually go deep to the heart. And the world says that you could have this autonomous being this autonomous self you can have exactly what you need when you need it and we live these really insulated lives so what we do is we look for belonging and community on our terms that don't cause us to have to go any deeper than the surface Social media is selling us this bill of goods. We, we, we look for belonging in the products that we buy. If you have that little apple on the back of your computer or on the back of your phone, it, it's called, it's done that way to make us feel like we belong to something, but th- so that we can hold on to our, our autonomy and our identity and our self control. So we live these siloed lives, these radically siloed lives where we do things on our terms and people only see the highlights. They don't see the outtakes. And we call this freedom. We're the most free individualistic culture in human history. And we're also profoundly lonely. Loneliness is the, is the biggest epidemic in cities. In fact, the city of Portland, one of the most progressive individualistic cities in the world, over 60% of people live alone by themselves We're moving towards isolation. We're moving toward decay and disintegration. So let me ask you this. If everything in our world is falling apart, if our bodies are falling apart, why do we work out? Why do we go to the gym? Why do do we go run? Why, Why do we do yoga? Why do we eat right? Why do we do those things? Why do we do the hard work of maintaining relationships? If, if they're simply going to disintegrate, why do we write, remodel homes that we know we're going to fall apart? Why do we create beauty out of disorder? Why do we do this? Because we know the world is not supposed to be like this. We know that the world is not supposed to be given into decay. We know that there's something better because if there was nothing better than this, it is simply go get yours while you can, when you can get it because there's nothing else. But the problem is, is that we know better. And if things are going to get better, if we know that there's something we are striving toward, it requires a standard of truth, beauty and goodness. If there is no god, then how do you know that a piano sounds better to your ears than a chainsaw? How do you how do you possibly know that? Is it just simply that your that your senses just prefer this and that we've we've adapted this way over time? No, it's that we understand what is beautiful. And the kingdom of God is beauty breaking into a broken world with a promise that everything is going to be made new, coming as salt and light to remedy that decay. Everything's falling apart. And that's why us being salt and light is so important. See, secondly, being salt and light brings flourishing you are the salt of the earth. Jesus says this, and he says it, uses the term salt on purpose. See, the salt that's being described here is different than the the salt that sits on your table. It it would come from the banks of a river, and it was used as a preservative. So you got to imagine in the first century, they don't have refrigerators. And so... If they wanted something like meat to not spoil, they would take salt and they would pack that meat with salt because it's a process called curing and they would pack it full of salt to keep it from spoiling in order to slow decay down. Nobody likes the smell of rotting meat. Like, it's, it's disgusting. Nobody likes that smell. And, and you could, and rotting meat has a very clear smell. Like you know it when you smell it, but my wife, when she was pregnant, had like this super sniffer. She could smell rotting meat from like four counties away, and and I remember one time like she was in, she was in the very far back bedroom of our house, and she just started sniffing like, and I was like, what? What do you smell? She so she like works her way through the house like a bloodhound and ends up in our kitchen and she smelled the tiniest little piece of meat that had fallen down into the drain. And so we had to clean out the drain because that little piece of meat was sitting down in the drain. Salt preserves and keeps from decay. But there is also the idea of flavor here. Salt also gives flavor. And some, some people like a little bit of salt on something, uh, but there's nothing worse than bland food. When we think about being the salt of the earth here, think about Lowry's seasoning salt. Like we are putting as much of that on there as we can because we want to enhance the taste of the food that we eat. So what is Jesus saying here? He's saying that bringing flourishing means stepping in, pressing in to preserve a world that's otherwise going to break down and also to give flavor and make the world that we live in better. The gospel message lived out by gospel people. This is what it means to be a disciple. Or as R.T. France says, disciples, if they are true to their calling, make the earth a purer and more palatable place. What happens when we press in? What happens when we when we put the salt that we are as salt into a broken world and we we change the, the the we change the neighborhood we live in? Is that we change the flavor of our neighborhood? The question is, Is will our city be better because we're here? Will the neighborhoods surrounding Forest Hills be better because we step in to preserve what's beautiful and to cultivate what's good here? And we do so by living wisely. The idea of salt um, has the idea of living wisely. Uh, Paul told the Colossians in chapter four, verses five and six, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. We live in a time right now where wisdom is needed more than any other time I can remember in my life. How do we wisely and consistently and faithfully live out of a biblical ethic when it comes to who we vote for? How do we live as salt when we, when we see uh, people who, who disagree with one another? How, how do we live as salt when, uh, when, when our neighbors would find the way that we live towards one group of people in order to see them flourish is, is, is horrific? And when we get the same thing on the other side, how do we live wisely for the sake of our neighbor's? I think we get this in the second metaphor that Jesus uses. He uses the metaphor of of the light of the world. How does being the light of the world help others flourish? We need light. We need light to exist. There are these sensory deprivation chambers. Um, and you go in, it's pitch black. And eventually what begins to happen in this sensory deprivation chambers is you just lose all sense of direction. You have no clue which way is up and which way is down. You start, start to actually lose a sense of time. And you, kinda, you actually start to go crazy in these things. And, and look, scary things happen in the dark. Have you ever seen one of those nature videos about what lives at the bottom of the ocean? Those things have like 12 eyeballs and like bones poking out. It's it's weird. And so when we think about the brokenness and the darkness of our world, it is a scary place to be. We need light. So what does light do? Light reveals what's already there. It shows us what's there. It shows us what's broken But it also shows what's beautiful. It shows what's disordered, but also what matters the most. So what Jesus is saying is that being the light of the world means that we live our lives in such a way towards our neighbors, towards our city, towards the world, that we show things like they really are. Leon Morris says, what is good in society, his followers, Jesus' followers, keep wholesome. We preserve it was corrupt they oppose they penetrate society for good and act as a kind of moral antiseptic and they give a tang to life like salt to a dish of food we show and shed light on what's broken as believers we should be people who expose falsehood that's why right now like everything you see on on social media we need to fact check and think through and not just believe wholesale we are people of Truth and we expose falsehood. When it comes to the way that you do business or the way that you engage in school, our honesty will expose dishonesty. When you think about office or neighborhood gossip, when it would be so easy to talk about that person who seems to get on everybody else's nerves, what if we engage with integrity and with grace? Not to throw it back in the face of those who do engage in that gossip, but to show a biblical ethic and worldview of how we should treat others. We confront racism and corruption through our loving kindness and our courageous justice. That is an image and an apologetic to those who have hate hiding in their hearts. When we think about greed and dishonesty when it comes to the way that we work, when we live contently, not believing we have to go seek things outside of hard work and a good work ethic and outside of how God has, outside of what God has given us, that is compelling to others. It exposes what's broken, but it also reveals what's beautiful. The word good here, we're talking about the good deeds that Jesus descri- or Jesus describes here, the good works that give glory to your father in heaven. That word good is the word for beautiful. We bring light, we expose light by loving, blessing, and serving in ways that astonish other people. They kind of have, leave people scratching their heads and it shows them that this is what the good life looks like. And what this interplay here is confounding because when you expose what's broken and you reveal what's beautiful, it both convicts and compels. This distinct life that we're called to live demands explanation. It says that these people would see this and that would give glory to the Father who is in heaven. We want to make people want to believe that the gospel is true. We want to live such lives that exemplify the work of Christ that people go, man, I don't know that I believe this, but I want to believe it. So they see the Father. But what's unique about the light of the world imagery here is that the light that's being described is, is not like the sun. It's like a lamp. And, and at this time, this little bit basically just been a wick floating in some oil. A lamp doesn't have a light of its own. It has to be lit by a greater light. And this isn't the first time that the terminology light of the world has been used. In fact, it's been, it was used to describe Jesus in John chapter eight, verse 12. It said, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the true light of the world. And do you want to know what came right before that passage about Jesus being called the light of the world? It was the story about the woman who was caught in adultery. This woman who Jesus showed the brokenness of her life. But he also showed the broken tradition of the Pharisees. And as he as as she's sitting there and, and her brokenness is on display for everyone to see. As Jesus exposes the fact that none of us have the right to judge her and everyone walks away, he says, is there no one to condemn you? And Jesus shows incredible grace and mercy. and shows the beauty of the gospel by saying, neither do I. Now go and sin no more. So how is Jesus the light of the world, but we're also the light of the world? It's that if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a disciple, and that means you represent Jesus to the world. You you represent the kind of kingdom that Jesus is bringing, and we reflect the light that Jesus has shown into our hearts, and we give people a taste of what the kingdom is going to be is going to look like. We bind what's broken. We preserve like salt. We do that. We live in ways that look different. So the question is, is where in your neighborhood needs salt and light? Where are relationships broken? Who in your neighborhood is vulnerable? Who's lonely? Who needs hope? And maybe this morning that's you. And we want you to know that this flourishing life is available to you. So being salt and light means that we bring flourishing. And here's how we do this. Lastly, being salt and light means that we press in. We look for brokenness and we press into that place. Being salt and light means that we don't run, but we press into hopelessness with healing. We press into brokenness with beauty. And I want to I just talk about three ways that we do that. We do this, we press in by standing out. This is our purpose. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are, you are called to be salt and light. There, there's no difference between believer, believer and disciple. They're the same thing. To believe is to follow. You cannot separate these two things. And so Jesus is saying, you are called to be my representative in the world and to take the, the flourishing life that I've given you and help others experience it as well, to leverage the influence you've been given in visible ways. But there's a warning at the end of verse 13. It says, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? You can't be considered salt if you're not salty. You know what you do does not make you who you are, but who you are will lead to what you do. And so, if you are salt, if you are salt, if this is your if this is your identity, you will live a salty life. Look, table salt doesn't go bad. Again, we don't understand this, but river salt would go bad, and it needed to be used or it would lose its effectiveness. If you didn't use it in time, it was it was no good. So here it says they would take it, and it would it was really. It couldn't be used anymore. It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So basically the same way that we take salt and put it on the road here in the winter and it tears up the underside of your car. Like that's all it would be good for. Your purpose is to preserve and bring flavor to the world. To live a distinct life. And a good indicator on whether you're beginning to lose your saltiness is that maybe you're starting to feel trampled and you feel the weight of the expectation of the world's values, and you wonder whether you actually are experiencing the hope of Christ, you start to enter the rat race, and your life begins to look more and more like the world. And so there's a question here, how can it possibly be restored? Well, if you want to be salty, ingest some salt. Jesus is the one who preserves your soul. And Jesus promises through intimate time with him through his word and through prayer that you will be satisfied in him. That Jesus is inviting you to spend time with him. It's the same with light. We're called to stand out like light. You don't hide light. You can't hide a light. You're meant to be seen. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. I remember when uh, one of my one of my kids was little. They would hi- they would hide in the closet, it's like a little kid. They put their hands over their eyes like this, like you couldn't see them. She would actually take a washcloth and hide it over her eyes and expect that you couldn't see her. That's about as ridiculous as thinking you can hide a city on a hill. You cannot hide it. It's it's not conspicuous. You could see it for miles. And this is the reason we chose to be a part of the City on a Hill Network, and we love the City on a Hill name, is that we want to be a beacon of hope for the weary traveler. A weary traveler would, would be traveling down the road, and they would see the city lit up for everyone to see, and they would look at that and say, you know what? I can just get there. I'm going to be okay. We want to be a city on a hill that says if people can, can find their way to Jesus, they can find hope. And this is why the gospel must get out. And this is why the city on a hill imagery is beautiful. It's think of it like a light bulb. If we want more people to experience the hope of Jesus, we we have a couple of options. We can build a better light bulb and a bigger light bulb and a brighter light bulb. Or I think the more effective way is to spread that light throughout our city. Outposts of light, community groups living on mission to love their neighbors, believers who are taking on and believing their identity as people sent for others to experience the good news of Jesus so that we saturate our city with the light of the gospel. What if every person in every neighborhood around us was in walking distance, of a relational distance of a group of believers hoping in Jesus together? I believe we'd see flourishing. But the question is, is do we stand out? Would they see a difference? Are our values just a mirror image of of our city, of our neighbors? Or are we thoughtfully and wisely thinking through what it means to live the flourishing life? Secondly, we do this by staying. A city is set on a hill. It's fixed. It's in place. It's rooted. It's steadfast. This is where we belong. Again, with a light, a lamp goes on a lampstand. You don't put a lamp somewhere else. The lamp goes on the lampstand. And the mess and the brokenness of this world is right where Jesus wants us to be. This is right where he wants us to be. We stay and we press into what's broken with what's beautiful. Again, Keller says this. This is so powerful. He says, if you see a neighborhood or a human community in poverty falling apart economically and socially, Christians are supposed to find the wisest way to be in there. Most people move out. Our relationship to the world is where things are the worst. We pour ourselves out. We divest ourselves. We invest time, money, heart, emotions, loving deeds. We're supposed to be salt and light through our good deeds, Jesus says. Amazing. Our relationship to the city changes when we understand that we're salt and light. We, we are like an alternative Boston. Okay, we're like an alternative Boston. We're different. We we live to to serve the earthly Boston right here among us as a countercultural reflection of our city. And what it does is it changes the way that we engage, right here around Forest Hills, and it changes the way we engage our neighborhood. That we move from using the city to cultivating it. We don't just come here to get an education or to work a job or, 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 you know, for whatever opportunity, but we say, Lord, how do you, how do we leverage this so that others can enjoy you? How do we leverage this so that we can make our city a better place to live in? How can we find the disadvantaged and the marginalized and the oppressed and make this a better city for them to live in? It's not just what I get, it's what I get to give. And this is what Jesus did. Jesus came into our mess. He pressed in and he stayed. He stayed. He he came, he took on flesh and he gave his life for our sake. He gave everything so that we could enjoy him. Lastly, we do this by stepping up. We press in and we step up. And this is how we envision flourishing. We envision flourishing happening through justice and mercy ministry. We meet the real and tangible needs of our neighbors. We address injustices. We make the city a place where people can thrive and flourish emotionally and mentally through something like the Boston Center for Biblical Counseling. We step into the brokenness in our own neighborhood and we serve at the local high school and through the YMCA and and, and through Boston Housing. And I encourage you to press into that. We do so through generosity. We press in, we, we step up by giving our time generously, by living hospi- um, hospitably. Um, to, to, make, to be hospitable, biblically, it doesn't just mean like a nice dinner party. It literally means to make the stranger family. What would it look like for you to invest in one person's life this year that they feel like they belong means creatively opening our lives, generously supporting the church, generously supporting missions and church planning financially through our service of giving of our time and energy. We step up by making disciples. What would it look like for every single one of us to make one disciple this year, teaching one person what it looks like to follow Jesus? The most effective way to get the salt and light out is to get more salt and light. And then lastly, through church planting. I know we're in week two of meeting weekly. We want to plant churches. We want to send people to plant churches all across our city and all across our region because that's the way that the gospel goes forward. We want to experience flourishing personally, and Jesus promises this, but we also want to help foster it for the sake of others. And the answer is not just do this and try harder and you can be salt and light. What Jesus is saying here is if you want to live the flourishing life, if you want to help others experience this too, it requires a new identity. To be salt and light is to be a follower of Jesus. And my question for you is, have you followed Jesus? Have you put your trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? If not, we would love to explore that with you. Fill out a connect card, and we'd love to talk with you. Has the light come on for you? Have you have you has the the light of Jesus lit your light? Has it has it helped you uh, lit something within you that you desire to glorify God? And my question for you is is also what is your next step? How do you need to press in and step up to be the salt and light of Jesus? Let's pray.